Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. We're just going to dive into Psalm 104. And speaking of <laughs> this psalm, um, this is a song of creation. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be um, here and, and teaching it. My name is Josh, by the way. And I'm normally in uh, children's, uh, the, one of the children's uh, leaders here. My wife and I um, kind of head up that ministry. And so Eric is actually in uh, with, with the kids this morning, um, which is a total blessing. He, anytime he can, he says, hey, anytime I'm not preaching, I want to be in with the kids. And I uh, just love, love to have him and love, love his heart. Um, it's been hot lately. Have you guys noticed that? And, uh, you know, you might, you might think of the sun as an enemy uh, but, <laughs> right now, but it really is an amazing thing. Um, and if you, you, you've ever really thought about what the sun is or if you know a little bit about the sun, um, it was cool. I was looking at, at some things this week, and, you know, we say we live in the solar system, and sol actually means sun. And, and it's, it's a great name for our system because the sun makes up 99.8% of the mass in our solar system. So we are almost entirely made of sun. The other 0.2% is, is Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, which is massive too. And so, like, if you add that up, that equals 100%. <laughs> we were like, wait a minute, Where, how do we fit in? Um, we are literally a speck of dust in, in the solar system. And so, um, you know, some of you guys may know that the sun is mostly... It's mostly um, hydrogen with uh, a little bit of helium, and these elements are uh, fusing together, and that's what accounts for all that light and heat that uh, we feel right now, especially during the summer, especially here in Menifee. Um, but that light, what's really cool is the light, like if you just look back through those doors, through the windows, and you see the people that are coming in late, which I can totally see, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, there's, there's sunlight coming in. That, that light that's coming in from the sun is 8 minutes and 20 seconds old because that's how long it took that light to leave the surface of the sun and travel the 150 uh, million uh, kilometers to get to our planet to, like, reach our eyeballs. Um, so it's just, just an amazing thing. And, and all that, that light um, and that heat keep, it gives life to everything on this planet, just about everything on this planet. You don't, don't get technical with me, I'm a biology teacher. <laughs> just about everything on, on this planet um, gets life from the sun. And so it's no wonder, you know, this is, it's absolutely amazing, it's no wonder that the ancients, a lot of ancient people, ancient Egyptians, they worshipped that sun as their god. Right? And we know that um, through history, through their writings, that they look to the sun as a source of life, and uh, they, they worship the sun. And I feel like in some way, in some measure, we can do something very similar um, today. So um, you guys may or may not know, but uh, there is a growing number of people who are atheists or agnostic or unaffiliated. It's about 23% or so now in the U.S. And so, um, you know, if you're here this morning and, you, you know, you, you would consider yourself unaffiliated or atheist or, or agnostic, um, we're glad you're here. 
And uh, I don't want to insult you too much by calling you a, a nature worshiper. Um, but that's really um, what that belief system entails, right? Um, the, the modern day version of it is called scientific materialism. It's the belief that all that exists is what we see with our eyes. So the only thing you can live for is material things like the sun. And so you may not uh, you know, worship the sun god or uh, like the ancient Egyptians did, but you might agree with um, uh, Richard Dawkins, who is a well-known atheist, where he says, after sleeping through a hundred million centuries, we have finally opened our eyes, he's talking about humanity here, on a sumptuous planet, sparkling with color, bountiful with life. Within decades, we must close our eyes again. Isn't it a noble and enlightened way of spending our brief time in the sun to work at understanding the universe and how we have come to wake up in it. Um, this is how I answer when I'm asked, as I am surprisingly often, why I bother to get up in the morning. So his whole point of life is to get up in the morning and understand creation. Um, but this isn't true just for, for atheists, and if I offended you as an atheist, please talk to me, tell me, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we're glad that you're here again. Um, but it's true for Christians as well. We can get caught up with living just like that, that, that this world is all that there is, that this creation is all that there is. Um, one Christian theologian wrote, Christians today who focus almost the entire effort of their lives on earning more money and acquiring more possessions become practical materialists in their activity since their lives would not be much different if they did not believe in God at all. Ouch, right? I mean, that's me a, a, a lot of times. And so how do we fix this? What can we do? Well, as we look at Psalm 104 this morning, um, we will see, we're, we're doing this summer mixtape series, right? And so we're on track 104. <laughs> There's a lot of Psalms. We're not going to go through all of them. So don't worry, this is, this is just a summer series. This will end at some point. Um, but Psalm 104 is a great song. Um, it's, it's the next song in our mixtape series. Um, it, it's a psalm that paints a picture of God's work in creation, his artistic work. And so we're just going to look at three things in this psalm this morning. Um, we're going to look at how creation reveals a God to glorify, a world to enjoy, and a song to sing. So we're going to look at those three things. Let me pray and we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you um, for uh, the sunlight this morning, the warmth um, of it, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see you um, behind um, all of creation this morning, um, and I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the things that you have to speak to us in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first of all, creation reveals um, a God to glorify. Um, now, who, who is this God behind creation? Who is this God that creates? Um, you guys heard it when, when David read this psalm uh, just, just a moment ago. Um, you, you might have seen a glimpse of that God, and we want to just highlight him. Um, so the ancient Egyptians, I, I, we, we said just, just a minute ago, the ancient Egyptians worshipped um, that, that glowing disc in the sky as God. And we know this um, because there is a, an inscription. There's a 14th century B.C. inscription um, that was written by Pharaoh Akhenaten, which may or may not be the right way to pronounce that. Um, I don't know. But it's called the Great Hymn to Aten. And most biblical scholars 
um, believe that Psalm 104 actually uses a lot of the same language that that Pharaoh used in his worship psalm or his worship song to the, the, the sun god. And so it's kind of weird. At first, you look at this and you, you think, well, wait a minute. So did the psalm writer here, which may be David, because David wrote the last psalm, and it's very similar in structure. So did, does David just copy some Egyptian sun god song and make it his own, and does he plagiarize it? And the answer is probably not. Um, he's probably not just ripping it off. Um, it's probably more like Acts 17, where if you remember, if you've heard that um, story if, or, or if you've read that, um, Paul goes into an area that's surrounded by philosophers um, in Athens, and he says in Acts 17, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found on an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So this psalm writer is doing something similar. He's using the same language that people in his time are probably familiar with, and he's saying, hey, you know that song that that one pharaoh wrote about the sun god, where he kind of gives credit to Yahweh for all of these things? I fixed it for you, right? You're welcome. You know, I, I fixed it. And, and the people in that time would have known and understand that. And so the question then is, how is this one different? How is this psalm different than um, this song that was written 400 years beforehand uh, to the sun god? The psalm is different because God is different, right, in, in that song. And Psalm 104 reveals a God who is not nature, but who is transcendent over nature. And so if you look, like look at verse 1 and 2. Um, God is not the sun. Instead, in verse 1 and 2, uh, the psalm writer says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Um, so God's not the sun. He's clothed with light, though. God's outside of creation. He's not the earth, but in verse 5, he sets the earth on its foundations. Look at verse 8. Um, God is, isn't the mountains. Um, he sets the mountains, and the mountains rose and the valleys sank to the place that God appointed for them, right? So God is transcendent over nature. He's outside of nature. If you look at verse 10, he makes the springs gush. In verse 14, he causes the grass to grow. He makes the moon and the sun. Notice in, in verse 19, um, he, the sun just gets a brief mention here. It's like, no, the sun is not the God, but God made the sun. You know, the sun knows it's time for setting. It's a big, bright disk. It knows when it's supposed to go up, and it knows when it's supposed to come down. And so um, what's the big deal of that, though? You know, you might think, well, okay, so why, why does that matter? Ancient Egyptians believed that God was the sun. We believe that God made the sun. How, how does that matter to my life? <laughs> Did I come here this morning just to hear that? Um, it's a huge deal. It makes all the difference in the world. Because a God that is just part of this creation a God that is just part of this world can offer no help when the world comes crashing in on you, right? A, 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 a dumb sun that just goes up and just goes down is going to do you no good um, when, when life comes at you, when we're struggling. Only the true transcendent God that is outside of nature, um, that is outside of the literal and figurative storms of life, 
can calm the waves when those storms affect us, right? That is a God that you can um, pray to and that you can open up to. Um, that is a God that, you can, that, you can, that, that, that cares about you, right? That's the only God that you can say with confidence, like the, the, the psalm writer here does at the end of the psalm. He says in verse 35, let the sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Only a God that is outside of nature can have any control over it. And that's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. And not only is he transcendent over nature, but this psalm shows that he is imminent. He's, he's close to us. He's, he's uh, remaining in creation is what imminent means. Um, did, did you guys know that the universe is expanding? I don't know. I'm going to get a little sciencey on you. The universe is expanding. So um, this was something that was first proposed, interestingly enough, by a priest, um, by a Jesuit priest back in the 1920s. And then um, science has kind of confirmed that uh, throughout this century. So we know, like, the universe is getting bigger. It's expanding. And um, some Christians who are, like, into science and into theology say, okay, bam, look at verse 2, Psalm 104. Isn't this interesting? Um, and... Uh, verse 2 says that God is stretching the heavens out like a tent. And they're like, aha, earth is expanding. Bible says that um, God is stretching the earth out. Maybe that's what the Bible means. Um, it, it's a nice thought, but it's, it actually is it's a wrong approach to this verse, and it kind of misses the point. Um, the point is not that the universe is expanding, and for like 2,000 years plus, they had no idea what they were writing, you know, what the, what the psalm writer was writing, and then all of a sudden, in the last 80 hundred years were like, yeah, that's what it was, you know? The universe is expanding, stretching out the tent. No, um, you, you're, you're missing the point if you're, if you're just seeing that. When he says here, when the psalm writer says, he lays, or sorry, uh, in verse two, stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chamber on the waters. What he's saying is that God, the, the God that we serve, the God that we see in creation is pitching a tent here with his creation, so an ancient Israelite hearing this song would think, yeah, the God of the heavens and the earth is pitching a tent just like I would pitch a tent for my family and live with my people. That's the God that we see in Psalm 104. It's a God that is intimately wrapped up with his creation, with the day-to-day. -day. Let's take a look at verse 11. He says, he gives drink to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. In verse 17, he makes trees for birds to build nests. In verse 21, he feeds lions. Uh, in, look at verse 27 and 28. 27 and 28 says, these all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. So this God is, God is, is, intimately involved in his creation. He cares for donkeys. He feeds lions. He builds tree. He makes trees so that uh, birds can build nests. And if he does all this, don't you think that he's going to take care of you? And, and I really believe, as I was looking at this this week, I really believe that some of you are here this morning just to hear that. Just to hear that God takes care of donkeys and birds and lions, and he's going to take care of you. Um, our God is a God who dwells with us. He is here with us. He's present in this room. 
He's all around. Ephesians um, 4, 6 says, he is above all and through all and in all. And, and I really do believe that some of us just needed to hear that this morning, that God is near. Um, God is close by. So God, uh, creation reveals a God to glorify who's transcendent, who's imminent, and intimately evolved, involved in his creation. And secondly, creation reveals a world to enjoy. Creation reveals a world to enjoy. Um, and I do have to say this too. Um, God designed creation to be enjoyed, not destroyed. And um, a lot of you know I'm a biology guy. I'm a teacher. I actually have been gone the last two weeks. I, was, um, I spend uh, the summers, the last few years, working on conservation projects. So I've, the last couple of years I've worked with um, turtles and sharks and bees. And um, this last summer we worked with owls, um, which was really cool with a nonprofit organization. And I'm, I may be accused of being a tree hugger, and I actually don't mind being called a tree hugger, because I, especially by Christians, I, I don't, you can insult me all day, um, it, it rolls off, especially by Christians, because I do believe that this is an area where we are seriously failing. Um, I, I think um, creation care is something that many Christians could care less about, and um, I've heard lots of, lots of Christians say essentially, eh, who cares, it's all going to burn anyway. Have you heard people say that? Um, even there's a well-known pastor who even said um, or wrote, uh, the earth that we inhabit is frankly a disposable planet. I've told environmentalists that if they think humanity is wrecking the planet, wait until they see what Jesus does to it. Peter says God is going to literally turn it in on itself, turn in on itself an atomic implosion so that the whole universe goes out of existence. Um, so not only, there's several problems with that, not only is that a very poor understanding of that passage in Second Peter, which is a, a, an awesome passage, but it's really tragic theology. Um, it would be like saying, eh, I'm not going to really fight sin because one day God's going to make me sinless. Right? Or it's like saying, ah, I'm not going to really care for the poor. God cares for the poor. They'll take care of them. Right? Or I'm not going to bother sharing the gospel because doesn't God call people to be saved? It's just wrong thinking. And the God in this psalm, um, Yahweh, that's revealed by the psalm writer, cares so deeply for his creation. He makes springs to gush forth. He gives drink to the beasts of the field, verse 11. He provides home for birds to dwell, to sing among the branches, he grows grass for the livestock. He gives a home to wild goats and rock badgers, which is awesome. And in verse 18, he gives food to lions. Um, you know, African lions are currently on an endangered species list, and they're projected to be gone by the year 2050. So you're probably, chances are you're going to read this psalm one day to your grandkids, and they're going to be like, hey, Papa, hey, Gram Gram Grammy, whatever they call you. What's a lion? You know, because they've never seen one, there aren't any around anymore. Um, so what can we do? I don't know. Um, I'm not going to give you a list of things or tell you to go green or, or anything like that. Um, but scripture teaches that in Christ, God is in the process of redeeming creation, not destroying it. Um, one pastor sums, summed it up perfectly. He said, I don't know how my planting a tree today will relate to the wonderful trees that will be in God's recreated world, but I know that God's new world of justice and joy, of hope, 
for the whole earth was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning. Amen. So it's not to be destroyed, but it is to be enjoyed. And that's what we see in this psalm, that creation is not just functional. It could have been. You know, for us to be on this planet, this planet does not have to be as beautiful as it is, right? Um, it is beautiful because it's meant to, enjoy, to be enjoyed for us to enjoy. Um, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, um, From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Not only do we enjoy creation, but God himself enjoys creation. So check out verse 31 here. Verse 31 says, may the, God, uh, sorry, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. God himself sits back like a satisfied artist and looks at his creation. And he says, I made that. And he's happy about it. Right? There's 30 million plus species. Actually, we have no idea how many there are. Could be 50. Who knows? Um, and last week, I got to hold one of these in my hand. Um, so there's a, uh, we, we were um, catching, I know, <laughs> I know. So prepared to be uh, killed with cuteness uh, for just a second here. Uh, so we were tagging these, and, and um, a few things about owls. They're awesome. They're incredible animals. They are as fluffy as they look, yes. Um, and that, that fluff actually is, helps them to fly silently they're actually vicious predators uh, too, <laughs> night predators. Um, and they, they, uh, they have these huge eyes. Their skull is like 40% eyes. It's almost half eyes. Um, our, skull, our skull is like 5% eyes. Uh, and then they have these radar-shaped faces. Have you ever wondered like, why they look so flat-faced? It's like a radar. It picks up sound. And they also have these asymmetrical ears, which I didn't know which picks up um, vertical sounds, kind of like we have, um, we have ears on the side of our head so that we can tell which direction sound is coming from. Theirs are asymmetrical so they can tell if sound's coming from the, below them or, or from above them. So they are an engineering marvel. And I got to hold them in my hand um, the, the last week and, and just wonder. But God holds these birds in his hand and he says, I made this. And he gets incredible joy um, from that. Um, so how do we enjoy this gift of creation? Um, a couple of things for you. And I really want to challenge you men um, with your families to be the ministers of joy, the joy of creation to your families and your friends, um, if you don't have families. <laughs> um, so a couple of things. Get into creation. And we, we know that the psalmist here is writing about nature from firsthand observations, right? He's looking at these things. He's observing rock badgers in, in the rocks. And so get out, turn off your phone, turn off Netflix for a minute or two, and just like get out in, in nature. Go to the beach, go camping, go hiking, just sit out underneath the stars. Um, you actually don't have to go far um, to see the beauty of creation. It's all around us. All of these pictures are from Menifee, of all places. Some of you guys think like, oh, we live in such an ugly place. It's only ugly if you fail to see the beauty that is right outside your door. Um, all of these pictures, there's actually one that Eric took in here too. He doesn't know I, I put it up there, but um, 
You can see it. It's here. You have to open up your eyes to it, though. You have to point it out. Fathers, husbands, point that out. Praise God for, for the beauty that's, that's right outside your back door. And then um, not only get into creation, but let creation get into you. Um, check out verse 14 and 15. Right in the middle of the passage, um, the psalmist here is explaining the purpose of man, essentially, it, within creation. And he says, you, God, cause the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So how do we, do, how do we enjoy creation? Just right here, it says enjoy those good things that God has provided. Work hard, eat good food, drink good wine to strengthen the heart and, 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 to, uh, and to make the heart glad. One of the best things that you could do, and hopefully, like, hopefully you take this and run with it, fathers, is bring home a meal, a good meal. It doesn't have to be an expensive meal. Bring home a good meal. Bring home a good bottle of wine. Bring home some treats for your kids and enjoy that stuff with your family. Enjoy God's good creation. Pray over it. Be thankful for it. Um, so we know that God is most glorified when we are satisfied with him, when we, worship in him, when we worship him. So creation reveals this God to glorify. It reveals a beautiful world to enjoy. And finally, it gives us a song to sing. It gives us a song to sing. And it's easy to forget as we're reading this text that this is a song. Um, I was going to have David sing that. He refused. I don't know why. He's got a wonderful voice. Um, but these, these are meant to be sung um, this is music, and music is a universal, joyous language. Um, Nietzsche wrote that without music, life would be a mistake. And Einstein said, this is super surprising, if I were not a physicist, I would probably be a musician. I often think in music. I live my daydreams in music. I see my life in terms of music. And it, um, the American writer, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, he wanted this written on his tombstone. The only proof he needed for the existence of God was music. Uh, Maya Angelou wrote uh, that everything in the universe has a rhythm, everything dances. And so I love that God, in all of his wisdom, he doesn't give us a textbook to understand creation. He gives us a songbook. And he gives us a song to sing. And what should we do with this song? Um, who should we sing it to? And what are the things that we should sing? Um, well, it, when you dig into this psalm, and I hope you noticed it when David was reading it, one of the things that you notice is that the author switches audiences back and forth throughout the psalm. So in verse 1, he says, you, speaking to God, you are clothed. Um, in verse 3 and 4, though, he's, he says, he, speaking of God to other people. Then in, in verses 6 to 18, it's back to you, God. You covered it. Um, and then verse 19, he goes back to he. And so he kind of trades off um, speaking to God, but then speaking to somebody else. And the first question is, well, the first thing that I thought when I was studying this is, well, he must be, this must be a song to be sung to other people. And I think that's true, but if you look at the text, we definitely should sing praises about God to others. But if you look at the text, look at verse 1, the, the beginning verse and the end of this psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
And verse 35 says, ends with, bless the Lord, O my soul. So this psalm writer, his primary audience is God and himself, his own soul. And um, the writer here in this psalm is revealing one of the great secrets of the Christian life. And I hope that you've discovered it. Have you discovered it? Um, but, but the secret is we must continually remind our own hearts about the greatness of God. We must sing God's songs to ourselves. These psalms so often are the spiritual self-medication that we desperately need. They're the maintenance that our hearts need. And so sing these songs to yourself, sing them to God, um, and sing them to others. Uh, so that's who, the, the who of who we sing this to, but what, what do we sing? What should our song be, and what should our song be fueled by? So two things here. Um, our songs should be fueled by what um, theologians have typically called the two books, God's two books, the book of Scripture and the book of nature. So Psalm 19 is a great psalm that, that separates that out uh, and gives praise to God for his work in creation and then gives praise to God for his work in Scripture. And so we see that in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 would be a great one to check out this week. But we also see it here more intimately um, woven together. Because when you look at this psalm, what's really cool about the flow of it, and I, I didn't notice this. I had to you know, look at commentaries, so if you didn't notice it, it's, it's fine. Um, but what you notice about the flow of the creation order, it perfectly matches Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, light and darkness is created ver uh, first in, in verses 3 to 5. And in Psalm 104.1, light is uh, the, the first thing to be mentioned. In Genesis 1, 6 to 8, heaven and earth are created. And in Psalm, uh, the waters are divided in verses 2 through 4. In Genesis 1, it's uh, 9 through 13, it's land and sea and vegetation. That's created next in Psalm. And all in this psalm, Psalm 104, and on and on it goes, um, all the way until it ending with man. So it, it follows that creation order, those creation days. And so why is this important? What does this mean? Is this just like a neat, you know, thing, thing to notice? I, I think it's more than that. I think this psalm writer's worship to God was fueled by his knowledge of scripture. So I don't know if he had like a scroll or if he memorized Genesis 1 or had it open and then it was also fueled by his looking out at, at God's world and so that is that's how our worship should be woven together where we can um, this means that where we can fuel an eternity of worship to God with this book and some fresh air that's all we need and we can weave together our own song of worship based on what God has revealed in his word and what he has revealed in the world. And we know that those things aren't going to contradict. And so what are we waiting for? Let's take our Bibles and go outside right now, right? Well, at least that's what we're thinking. Um, we can, but wait a minute. Um, we're going um, to sing first. And so um, kind of as the band is coming up, I want to uh, just call us in to worship this God. And I know that there has to be, in a room this size, there has to be people that are thinking, um, yeah, 
this world is beautiful, but this world is badly broken, right? Or I am badly broken. And I want you to just, I want to finish off looking at verse 24 here. Verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And you might be here questioning God's wisdom in creating a world that is so beautiful and yet so tragically broken. And this is why we sing. Um, because we, we, we come here recognizing, I think that's a great thing to recognize, recognizing that our own sin, our selfishness, our brokenness is so ugly that it required just a brutal punishment. But the love and wisdom of God is so great that he was willing to take that punishment for us. So in wisdom have you made them all. Uh, and in the New Testament, Paul tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God, made flesh, and that all things were created through him and for him. So in this wisdom of God, Jesus himself, at the beginning of the time, creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And some of that sunlight is, is, is reaches our little speck of a planet. Some of it's creeping in those windows in the back. And it gives life and energy to plants and animals and people. And in wisdom, he makes it all. And some of that energy is used by people like us to sin, um, to hurt themselves, to hurt other people. And yet in wisdom, he makes it all. And some of that sunlight is used to grow the trees that would provide the wood to make the cross that Jesus himself would hang upon to forgive us of those sins. In wisdom, he makes it all. And some of this sunlight is made to make you and I, <laughs> and to provide us with the, the, the fuel, the energy to wake up this morning, to come here, and he has given us breath. And right now, you and I have the opportunities to surrender all of that sin, all of that brokenness, and to use that breath to surrender our lives to him and to give it all up to him in worship. And so that's what, what we want to do this morning. Let's pray. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.